Hello, and welcome to Line One, Your Health Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. The past year and a half has been a time of great uncertainty and fear, leading to a sharp increase in depression and anxiety, even in those that were previously well. In Alaska, the overwhelming need for mental health resources is growing, but the capacity for care is stretched thin. What are some warning signs for mental health crises? Who should we contact if we are concerned about our mental health? Who should see a psychologist versus a psychiatrist? Joining us today to answer our questions about adult mental health are Dr. Jamie Spatrisano. She is a clinical psychologist and postdoctoral fellow, fellow at Fuller Diagnostics in Anchorage, where she provides neuropsychological testing. Also joining us is Ms. Erin Mingrone. She is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner at Anchorage Neighborhood Health. Dr. Spatrisano, Ms. Mingrone, welcome. Hi, thank you for having us. Thank you. And we would love for you to join our conversation. Do you have questions about adult mental health therapy or counseling? Have you noticed a change in your mood or emotions and want to know who to see? Are you concerned about the mental health of a loved one? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752. In Anchorage, call 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1-at-alaskapublic.org. I understand that the mental health field is vast and the division of the subsets or departments is not well known, not even to medical professionals outside the realm of mental health. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you both today and having you share your knowledge with us. Let's start with Dr. Spatrisano. Can you share with us what inspired you to go into the field of psychology? Sure. You know, I wish it was kind of uh, uh, a really, you know, clear-cut, linear, uh, you know, way that it that it worked. But I'd say it probably started actually with a high school class where I had um, a really interesting um, psychology class with a really dynamic, pro- or well, it wasn't a professor, um, uh, a teacher, doctor, or doctor, uh, uh, Mrs. Wyatt, um, and it just like really opened my eyes to like the fascination of, of psychology. And then when it came to college, like I knew I wanted to go to college, didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do. Um, but I had that class, so I said, mm, let's try, let's try psychology. And I just kind of kept adding some majors like French and criminal justice and didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. And graduated with that um, psychology major and uh, was doing, actually, it was a behavioral program, so I was actually doing um, dog training and was like, this is not, this is not what I want to be doing, I think. Um, And so I enjoyed it, but that wasn't necessarily for me Um, and ended up uh, looking into master's programs. And um, the one at UAA really caught my eye because they had a cultural emphasis, which I wasn't really seeing in a lot of other um, programs. Um, and went for it and moved up to Alaska. I thought, mm, I can do anything for two years, right? And then um, ended up actually staying and doing the PhD program at UAA as well. And, um, uh, you know, with that master's level, I, I honestly, I didn't think I really wanted to do individual therapy. And I thought I wanted to do testing and you have to have a PhD to do testing. And then 
went and did my internship in um, actually uh, Kansas, the Kansas VA of all places, and um, and really enjoyed therapy and loved group therapy and was like, wait, I don't know what's happening now. I, I actually love what I'm doing. Um, and uh, and so, you know, like have been doing uh, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, I guess my career has gone on a lot of uh, individual and groups and things like that. And like then had this opportunity that's like in line with my original passion, which was uh, neuropsychological testing. So, you know, I had to take this opportunity um, to say I also really enjoy, um, you know, um, figuring out like the nitty gritty of what's going on with somebody in their cognitive functioning. And so I'm not sure if I fully answered your question there, but that's kind of how I got to where I am. Yes, you definitely answered it. There were so many twists and turns along the way. So you started with Ms. Wyatt in high school, and then it got you all the way to where you are now with a pit stop with dog training. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's all behavioral health. So you talked about testing and then mentioned you do neuropsychological testing. So um, what is the difference between neuropsychological testing and psychological testing? Yeah, so um, there's definitely some commonalities in there. And I think what really kind of breaks it apart is with those, um, uh, like the neuropsych testing, we're going to be doing a, a lot of um, looking at kind of like attention and memory and kind of like how your brain is working and some different aspects of, uh, you know, like things that you could be struggling with. Whereas, um, you know, with the psychological testing or, you know, sometimes we call it personality testing, that's going to uh, like kind of, uh, be a lot more with the, um, you know, like the the psychological symptoms that somebody might be experiencing, um, and not necessarily looking at the nitty gritty of like how their brain is functioning. Does that make sense? Yes, interesting. And you said you need a PhD to do testing. Was it just the neuropsychological testing? Or for um, both? Yeah, I mean, there's different kind of uh, some tests. Uh, that require a PhD to at least supervise. So, you know, like um, people can be trained to do these tests as long as they're, and, you know, master's level folks can do a lot of these things um, as long as they have, uh, like, somebody with a PhD kind of overseeing that process. And then there's obviously, there's, you know, like some tests that they can do, you know, they, they can, you know, like at a master's level, you can obviously do a really thorough clinical interview and, you know, be able to diagnose somebody really well. Um, I guess there's maybe some, some right announced there. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Ms. Mingrone, I'm of course familiar with family nurse practitioners or women's health uh, nurse practitioners, but I wasn't actually aware of the specialty of psychiatric nurse practitioner. So, talk to us about what inspired you to become a nurse practitioner and then to further specialize in psychiatry. Yeah, so I would say along the same lines as Dr. Spatrasano, I followed a very nonlinear path to get here. Um, in high school, I was very much into sports and physical activity and nutrition. And so I actually have a first undergraduate degree in exercise physiology. And a lot of what we studied was how the body responds to physical activity, a lot of um, cardiology um, emphasis. And so I, my first um, real job was a medical assistant in a cardiology clinic, which I did for several years and really, really enjoyed. And that inspired me to go and get my undergraduate degree in nursing, um, which I did in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and started working as a registered nurse in acute care settings. So I mostly worked 
uh, in pediatrics. My entire undergraduate career was in pediatrics. Um, I did a lot of cardiology, um, hematology, oncology, bone marrow transplant. And during that time, I realized that I tended to veer more towards how are the parents feeling? What are, you know, they're going through a lot. How are they dealing with this? And kind of focusing on the mental health aspects. And um, when I was ready to get out of a hospital setting, I actually got my, um, an outpatient job at a eating disorder facility, residential facility in Denver for adolescents. And that really is what kind of drove home that I, I like doing the mental health aspect of things. And that was the point that I went on to get my um, graduate degree. And like you said, there are many subspecialties of, of nurse practitioners. And so we all start off in the same um, basic classwork. And then after we get the basics done, we can split off into different specialties. And so um, psychiatry is one of them. And, and yeah, that's the, the path that I ended up taking. Well, is there a difference between a medical doctor that specializes in psychiatry and a nurse practitioner that specializes in psychiatry? Are there, is the treatment approach different? Yeah, and so I think we end up, um, you know, with the same treatment goal in mind. We have different models of care, so the medical model of care differs from the um, nursing model of care, and I probably wouldn't feel comfortable going into the specifics of the medical model, but for the nursing model, we're really focused on holistic care, um, you know, disease prevention, um, health maintenance. And so we tend to, to look at the, you know, the whole body and, and the whole, just the holistic factors. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, can you take us through a day in the life of a psychiatric nurse practitioner? Yeah, and so there's a lot of different areas that a psychiatric nurse practitioner could work, and so I've, I've kind of done all of them wow. <laughs> in the last few years. So there's inpatient and outpatient. Um, right now what I'm doing at Anchorage Neighborhood Health Center is um, an integrative model of care, which means, um, you know, we're a primary care clinic. We have the primary care providers kind of guiding the, the overall treatment, but I am there to help. Uh, with the the mental health part of things. And so I will see quite a few patients in a day mostly to to stabilize their mental health medications. We're trying to reach as many patients as we can because we're so um, in in an underserved area. We don't have many providers. So I I collaborate with the primary care provider. And also if someone's needs are, are higher than what we provide, help them get connected with community resources for a higher level of care. Great. Well, are patients referred to you that are refractory to their psychiatric medications that were prescribed by their PCP or their primary care provider, or uh, are you seeing them first line? If they need to start on medications, does the primary care provider just send them directly to you? In our setting, typically the primary care will at least start the medication. If someone's really complex, um, and and they just want right off the bat um, a referral to start medications. I can definitely do that, but for the most part, primary care is the starting place. And in a lot of cases, primary care can manage the medications, um, but in some instances, they do need help if someone has failed multiple medicines or had numerous side effects, and so at that point, they would send them on to me. Right, right. 
let's get more into this vast field of mental health. Dr. Spatrisano, as a PhD clinical psychologist, is it more appropriate to refer to you as a psychologist or as a therapist? Um, I mean, they're, they're both, I guess, you know, accurate. Um, so uh, the term kind of therapist is, is really broad. It's kind of one that like all levels of care that are doing therapy, I, I think, can use that term. Um, you know, so that's often, a, you know, like a master's level therapist or, you know, um, even a maybe a um, licensed clinical social work that's doing therapy. Um, you can also, you know, be a therapist. Um, so there's a lot of different, um, you know, things that that somebody could, I guess, be doing and then use that term therapist. Um, and then psychologist is kind of one of those things where um, you're going to be at the PhD level where you either have a, you know, a PsyD or a PhD. Um, and I happen to have a PhD and, um, and uh so that's kind of like the, the biggest thing is that there's like that added front-loaded schooling um, for a psychologist. And then, um, so I don't know, is there anything more specific that you're, you're kind of wanting to know? Well, you mentioned PsyD and PhD. And what is the difference between that doctoral degree and the doctoral degree you have? Yeah. So um, my understanding of what the biggest difference is, is that so with a PhD, there's more of a research emphasis in school. And um, you're going to, you, you do a, a doctoral dissertation. So you have to create, you know, like your own research project and see that through. And then with uh, PsyD, it's got a little bit more of a clinical um, emphasis. And um, I believe they do a, a, like, a, like a, a doctoral project that's not necessarily research bound is my understanding. Nice. Um, but essentially, I think we're, we're coming with really kind of similar skills and then um, they might just be a little bit uh, maybe more front-loaded with the, the clinical skills. And then so, you know, like as a PhD, maybe um, getting a little bit more to that from um, training, you know, or like internships and things like that. Right. That makes sense. Well, I'm thinking that many people would say um, either they'd be referred to a therapist or need to see a therapist. And you mentioned that there are different or various levels of mental health care. So we want to know who provides such care so we can figure out who we may need to see. Yeah, so I'll try to give maybe like a brief overview of, of um, you know, kind of the levels of care and, you know, like I'll maybe start with kind of that um outpatient care, right? That, so that's where you're, you, you know, going in and seeing somebody, you know, maybe once a week, like, so a typical, you know, um, outpatient um, visit would be, you know, um, about one, one hour a week, once a week. Um, and so that can be, you know, a lot of different people, depending on what you're going in for, um, you know, uh, so that could be master's level, that could be social workers, that could be psychologists, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of doing that. Um, you know, here in Alaska, we also have behavioral health aids and things like that as well. That's kind of even like a, a little bit lower level of care, um, you know, like so that they can help serve, um, you know, folks in, in really rural communities, that sort of thing. So they could be um, have just gone through a specialized training program um, or they could, uh, uh, you know, have a bachelor's. Um, so there could be kind of some other things going on there. Um, and there's also, you know, like programs like, uh, you know, um, like you can get a certification in substance abuse counseling, right? And you could be a substance abuse counselor, that sort of thing. And that could be in that outpatient setting as well. 
Um, so if we're kind of leveling up a little bit, you know, a little higher level of care would maybe be um, intensive outpatient. So that's going to be similar services to what I'm talking about with, you know, regular outpatient, but, you know, more of it. So maybe more contacts, maybe you're going to see somebody instead of once or twice a week, maybe you're going to see them uh, three times a week. Um, maybe, you know, there's programs that we, I don't, I don't think we have any in Alaska, but where you could um, go in like three hours a day, five days a week. Um, so for some intensive outpatient care. Um, you might also have, uh, you know, a caseworker that's helping you out. You might have peer support specialists helping you out. Um, and then as the next level up could be um, like partial hospitalization. Uh, so you're um, going in, you know, like for an example, maybe like six hours um, a day, five days a week. Um, and, uh, you know, just getting, you know, similar stuff, but even more. And then they will probably have some, you know, like multidisciplinary stuff going on, especially if you're in kind of a hospital setting where you could, um, you know, have somebody helping you with your meds. You know, um, you know, if, if you have kind of co-occurring medical stuff going on, you could, you know, get help with that as well. And then there's also uh, residential um, programs, and those, that could be like maybe like a supportive living environment, and that sort of thing where, um, you know, you're in a space where you, you're not in a place where you can, you know, be successful on your own, but you're like maybe working towards that. So maybe you're in like that kind of supervised environment where they're not like, uh, you know, like with you all the time and you're, you're just kind of living in that space where if you needed some help, then you could easily access that. Um, and then you'd probably also uh, be working on like whatever skills you're needing so that you can kind of be on your own once you get through there. Um, and that could be something that'd be typical like 30 to 90 days, you know, in, in one of those settings. Um, could be up to, you know, like six months, could even be, you know, a year or something like that. Um, and then we have our inpatient settings. Um, and so that's usually when somebody's having like a, a, an acute episode, like they're having a mental health crisis or something like that. Um, and, you know, like, or, like an emergency situation, they can't keep themselves safe or, um, you know, um, they're really needing, you know, some like nutrients or something like that because they've been malnourished or something. Um, and uh, so like, I, I think for example, here in Alaska, so we have like our, our psychiatric ER at Providence, right? So you might um, go in there for just a brief period of time, like max, like in these situations, usually like a three to seven day um, sort of stay. So to stabilize somebody and then, you know, get them connected with what other kind of uh, less restrictive services. Cause that's usually a locked, you know, kind of like a locked ward situation near, you know, um, in that inpatient setting. And those are like the basic levels of care. Um, and then there's also um, like some like crisis response stuff um, that's, uh, you know, like our um, like elastic care line. So if you're, you know, um, you know, having suicidal thoughts or, you know, even concerned about a friend who might be suicidal, you could call that sort of thing. And then they can sometimes triage that sort of thing. Um, and then in a, you know, Anchorage recently, I think starting this summer, uh, we have a mobile crisis unit. So which is really nice because if you call um, you know, and you're having suicidal thoughts and you're not able to keep yourself safe, some of that stuff, then we have another option besides the police are coming. And that can, that can be a really traumatic situation. Um, they're they're going to have to handcuff you and take you to the ER, whereas now we have this, um, you know, some trained professionals that are mobile, they can come see you, you know, maybe de-escalate the situation, you know, um, you know, they're uh, mental health professionals and they can get you connected with services, that sort of thing, or, or even drive you over there in a more pleasant experience um, and get you to the psychiatric ER. Um, so when that's, when we have that option, that's awesome. Um, and there's a couple other, you know, like possible things that we don't really have here in Alaska. I don't know if you want me to talk about those. Yeah, sure, Ms. Mingrone. Mm -hmm. 
say um, what what Dr. Spatrasano was just talking about is through the um, Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority, and it's called Crisis Now. And they actually have some interesting information on their website. I read um, that their goal is if they have 100 crisis calls come in to the crisis response centers, then they can dispatch, I think they said, 10 mobile crisis units, which can then lead to three ER visits and only one inpatient stay. Whereas if we're sending the police out, you know, they're, most of the police officers, they're getting better now at training in mental health, um, just providing um, mental health care in an appropriate way. But in general, more people are ending up in the ER, staying in the ER, getting admitted and not really getting access to those services. And people are ending up in jail when that is the last place that they need to be. Right. And so this this crisis now service, I think they're implementing it in phases. But once it's fully up and running, I think is going to be huge for our community. So this is sending qualified mental health providers out to the home or wherever this uh, patient is, and they're prof- providing counseling and triaging the situation. Good and keeping it in within mental health instead of authority. And they're, they're teamed up. Sorry, uh, they're also teamed up with the like the fire department here, so they have like uh, they can take a medic with them, uh, which you know like can really kind of help with that triaging and keeping people from needing you know unnecessarily to go to the ER if it was something that that could easily be um, you know helped with. So they may not necessarily lead to an ER visit at that time. Great. Right. Yeah. Yes, that's the goal, right? Well, you also mentioned the other service that a loved one can call if they're concerned about you. Is that the same with this new service that is coming that if you're concerned about someone else? And tell me about what what should concern you or spark you to make this phone call. Um, yeah, anytime you Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Anytime, you know, you see concerning signs in a loved one that could be, you know, they're just more down and depressed. They're not getting out of bed. They're avoiding their friends. They're avoiding activities that they normally like. You know, sometimes we see an increase in substance abuse. Um, all of those things are warning signs. People may actually make comments about, I wish I wasn't here anymore. And so any of those things can can be a sign that we need to call for help. And so any of those um, crisis support lines that, that Dr. Spachisano mentioned are, are definitely appropriate for family members or loved ones to call to to get advice. Well, thank you. We do have to take a break, but when we come back, we can talk more about mental health crises and the resources that are available. You are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection. If you have a question or a comment for our guests today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage, call 550-8433. After this short break, we will continue our discussion of Why Do I Feel This Way?, when and how to seek mental health resources with guest psychologist Dr. Jamie Spatrasano and nurse practitioner Ms. Erin Mingrone as Line One continues statewide. Line One, your health connection comes to you from Alaska Public Media and is made possible with support from Providence Imaging Center, committed to the well-being of Alaskans, staff, and the community since 1986. PROVimaging.com. 
The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. I'm joined by guests, Dr. Jamie Spatrisano, a clinical psychologist who performs neuropsychological evaluations at Fuller Diagnostics in Anchorage. She has experience working in both inpatient and outpatient trauma treatment centers. Also with us is Ms. Erin Mingrone, a psychiatric nurse practitioner at Anchorage Neighborhood Health Center, where she provides integrative behavioral health care. They are with us to discuss mental health illnesses, resources, and how and when to seek care. Have you had an improvement in your mental health? Call us to share what helped you. Are you aware of the resources available in Alaska and online? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752. In Anchorage, call 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Ladies, let's return our attention to mental health crises and the resource that resources that we have available here. Um, what are some of the warning signs? Can you repeat some of those warning signs for when we should ourselves seek mental health care? Ms. Mangrone? Yeah, I think some of the warning signs that we see are, um, you know, just changes from our normal normal functioning. So some people will feel like they just don't want to get out of bed. They're staying in bed. They have no energy or motivation. They're feeling hopeless. Um, you know, avoiding activities that they normally enjoy doing or avoiding people that they normally enjoy spending time with. Increased use of substances, drinking or recreational drugs can also be a warning sign. And if you know, there's any thoughts of, I I wish I wasn't alive anymore, or I want to do something to hurt myself, or definitely signs that you, you should reach out for help. Call one of the crisis lines, seek seek help. Thank you. Dr. Spatrisano, did you want to add something? Um, I mean, I think that that's, Erin uh, gave a pretty good um, overview looking at kind of like big changes looking for, you know, I mean, so right now we're just talking about like, those uh, really serious mental health crises, right, that, you know, not just kind of like, hey, should I see a provider, that sort of thing, but kind of those ones that are a little bit more pronounced or more extreme, um, you know, those really big behavior changes or, you know, um, you know, that kind of loss of will to live and, and that kind of stuff. Um, Right. Well, Ms. Mingrone, can you also talk to us about how we should approach a loved one? So, yeah, I think 
if they're struggling, do we approach that person? Perhaps they're not wanting to harm them, harm themselves or harm anyone else, but you see that they're withdrawing from their lives. How should we approach that? Yeah, I think part of just mental health in general, it's especially depression, is that we kind of isolate and, and don't want to open up. And I think just letting them know you're there for them, that you're concerned about them, um, and don't be afraid to to talk to them. I think a lot of people tell me I'm scared I'm going to say the wrong thing, but it's better to say the wrong thing than to say nothing at all and, and maybe not be able to get the person the help that they need. So don't don't be afraid to let people know that you're, you care about them. Right. I think that's always hard to know what to say. And many of us think we don't know what the right thing to say is in this situation. And so you may just back off and not say anything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and it, it's better to say something, even if it might not be exactly what the person wants to hear. Saying something at least opens those lines of communication. Okay, thank you. And just so you know, we are still connecting virtually. So for all of our listeners, we are all connecting together virtually. And so Dr. Spatrosano dropped off for a bit uh, with connection issues. So don't want you to think we cut her off. We're very interested in what she has to say. Are you back with us, doctor? Not yet. Not yet, it looks like. <laughs> not yet, but we will, we will get her back momentarily. All right. So I do want to go into some some serious things, but I do want to say those resources that you shared with us, we will put on the website because those are important things to know and the actual phone numbers that we should call. So if we feel like we are in, in danger or we are having a crisis or experiencing something we haven't experienced before, we should be reaching out to these resources. Uh, you did mention actually that there were some resources that were were missing in Alaska that we, we do not have. What are some of those resources? Yeah, and um, it was interesting. I was looking up some statistics just about access to um, mental health care psychiatry in Alaska, and some studies have said that the ideal number of, of psychiatrists is about 25 per 100,000 people. And in Alaska, we have less than 10 per um, wow. 100,000 people, so we're really short. Um, other things I think that Dr. Spadrosano had mentioned are some of the higher levels of care. So we do have um, Alaska Behavioral Health as our mental health center in town, and they provide some of those services. Um, but based on the, the level of mental health needs that we have, we, we would really benefit from having more of that, more of the intensive outpatient, the partial hospitalization, the residential treatment. Um, we just have very limited resources. Yes. And that moves us into maybe online resources. I've noticed a lot of online resources now uh, reaching out to people all over the country. And what have you noticed with that? Are these things that we should be taking advantage of? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, just with the limited resources we have, there there's so many good online resources now. Um, you know, someone that's having mild to moderate anxiety, depression, sleep problems, there are, you could go on YouTube and find like guided meditations, sleep hypnosis, yoga or exercise videos. 
Um, there's a lot of apps that you can get for meditation, for, you know, shifting thinking if we're having suicidal thoughts, for helping with addiction. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of evidence-based um, apps out there. In, a, in building on that, there is actually increasing um, telehealth opportunities for both psychiatry and um, therapy. And so if, if you're not able to connect with someone in your community, there is the possibility of doing that um, electronically. Are there issues with medical state licensure in that situation? Yeah, so the the provider would have to be um, licensed in the state of Alaska to provide care here. I know we're getting better at having people in other states become licensed in multiple states in order to provide that care. I think we're not quite where we need to be in Alaska yet, but I think there's, there's starting to be more of a push because we are so um, understaffed. Right, and that's one thing the pandemic has done is really connected us uh, as caregivers, as medical professionals, and as patients. We're able to connect all across the world, really, and seek yeah. guidance and services. So that's one positive thing. But let's talk about some of the not-so-positive things. And I know, Dr. Spatrasano, you're back with us. Yeah, hopefully y'all can hear me. <laughs> yes, we can hear you. Uh, well, the impact of the COVID pandemic on mental health has been immense. And as you stated, the resources in our state are limited. In your professional opinions, how has the pandemic affected your field? And how did we uh, handle isolation and the disruption to our relationships, the disruption to our lives, really? Dr. Spachisano? Sure. I mean, I, I think um, that... Uh, um, Ms. Ingram was just probably um, highlighting this, but that there, I, I, you know, I feel like there was one positive, right, was it increased our capacity, you know, as a state to do um, teletherapy or, you know, telemedicine and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the positive in that, you know, like we actually were able to, I think, connect with um, some folks that we wouldn't have connected with otherwise, you know, like if they have like really significant anxiety and, you know, really just can't bring themselves, you know, to come and see somebody in person, that sort of thing. Um, so there's some, some, you know, like added benefits. I think that, um, you know, I think at this point, I don't know that we know exactly how it's affected us. You know, like I know that there's some stuff where I found myself like almost leaning towards, I'd rather see somebody um, through the telehealth so I can see their face. So right. I can see their acceptance, right? You know, because like that in person, I get body language, you know, I get maybe a little bit more of a connection, but then there's this kind of like, barrier between us where we've got these masks and, you know, um, and, you know, like some other stuff in the room too, like, you know, like, uh, you know, like for me, um, like, like added health, you know, concerns that I never had, like, I never had health related anxiety. I never was like, Hey, did you wash your hands? You know, right. um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And just knowing that I had, you know, like a pregnant wife and now I have a, you know, an infant that like, that's in my forefront, you know, where I'm just like, Oh, this person's coughing. Like, Hey, you know, like, so there's some kind of stuff that's just kind of in the room with you that just was not a thing before. And so, um, I'm not sure exactly if I know all the ways that that might be impacting, like, you know, my, uh, you know, connection with, with a therapy client or that sort of thing. Um, you know, like in, if I'm going to put like my, um, neuropsych, you know, like hat on, you know, like there's, 
things where we really want to be able to see somebody's expression. So if we're doing a, you know, an evaluation for autism, you know, like that's kind of a disservice if I can't see if they have flat affect, you know, and, and things like that. So there's, you know, like some ways that that, I think that the masks are kind of, you know, um, causing that barrier. I also have heard people say that, you know, if they're really socially anxious, they like, they like having the mask. They can kind of hide behind it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So they're maybe more comfortable in that, that therapy room than they would have been, you know, so there's kind of that, that, that give and take in a lot of these situations. You bring up some very interesting ideas and probably something less thought about is some of the anxiety on the part of the provider, Uh, anxiety from, you know, getting sick themselves and bringing that home to the family. Uh, So not something that we typically mention, but on both parts, your provider may be feeling anxious for some, you know, for various reasons and the patient may be feeling anxious as well. So uh, very interesting Speaking of anxiety, have you seen an increase in anxiety and depression only, or has there been an increase in other mental health illnesses during this COVID pandemic? Um, I think one of the things that we saw a drastic increase in, um, and I don't know, this leads to mental health problems, but domestic violence and child abuse um, during the lockdown, we saw just increasing numbers in, in those areas as well as, you know, financial crises, not working, we saw a significant increase in substance abuse as well. Well, Dr. Spatrasano? Yeah, um, in, I don't know if we mentioned specifically, but, you know, there's been increase in substance use as well, you know, and um, also an increase in, in overdoses is another kind of thing that, that has been um, happening I, don't, I mean, I'm probably I'm not an expert, so I don't know that you want me to get into the nitty gritty of why that, that might be going on. But, um, you know, like there's, um, you know, like all kinds of stuff like I uh, like Aaron was talking about with like um, the financial stressors, that sort of thing. Right. We see, you know, women coming out of, you know, the workforce because they can't get child care, you know. Um, and uh, so there's a a lot of different kind of dynamics. There's, you know, like added stress for those frontline workers. We are seeing a lot more stress than when we're, you know, you know, not coping. And then we've got family members who are sick, you know, or dying. Or we have all those dynamics of like, you know, in the hospital, right? Like, so we can't even do a lot of the stuff that was helpful coping beforehand, but we didn't even think about like how comforting it is to have a loved one in the hospital with you when you're sick, you know, or, to be able to say goodbye if, if somebody is at the end of their life, right? right. So at least for that period of time, we didn't, we didn't have that stuff. Like funerals, it's like, oh, just put it off, you know, like, or, you know, or we'll have this really small thing and then most of the people can't come, you know, so there's a lot of, like, issues with closure. We're seeing, you know, kind of bereavement issues, you know, um, coming up. Absolutely. And, and I, we've I, all lost so many people during this pandemic so and it's not just from covid but you're right not being able to say goodbye you know i've noticed that in families even in my own family with um children not being able to say goodbye to loved ones because they're often the last people you think of you know you want the people closest to that person you know maybe you're a grandparent so the parents and their children you know need to be there and the young people may be left out and then suffer consequences from that. 
or not being able to celebrate your loved one in the way that you would want to, you know, even as an adult, it's really hard to deal with and not something we've probably in our lifetime had experience with. You know, we haven't had to make those adjustments. So knowing how to do that is pretty stressful. You know, I've also noticed in my practice the really increase in in disease, in illness, uh, not communicable illnesses because we're wearing masks and washing our hands, but in other disease states, perhaps that they were more vulnerable to, but they had been preventing with lifestyle, healthy lifestyles. And with COVID, we've had, you know, the COVID-50, you know, the downfall of nutrition and healthy lifestyle. So I'm wondering if some of the mental health illnesses are, you know, for the same reason. Perhaps they were preventing some of the uh, mental health illness from good nutrition or a good lifestyle. Ms. Mangrone, have you noticed any of this? Absolutely. Um, you know, we know that people that have mild to moderate depression, many studies have shown that diet and exercise are just as effective as medications for managing those symptoms. And so, you know, we know that, yeah, staying at home, people weren't getting out as much. They were turning to more, you know, junk food when they were feeling stressed. And so I have so many people come in that say they're not exercising, their diet's terrible, they're not sleeping, um, they've gained a lot of weight. And so, yeah, just working with someone to get all those things back on track is, is really important because that can have a huge impact on overall functioning and mental health. Well, we do want to talk about some things that we can do uh, to help us, mind, body, spirit. But we do have to take another short break for the stations down the line. So if you have a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. We'll continue our discussion on mental health and available resources when we return. You're listening to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone is excited for the 2021-2022 school year. It's important to prepare for an active year ahead, whether you play competitive sports or just enjoy being active. It's important to make your overall health a priority. So get your COVID-19 vaccine, stay active and involved, check in with friends and family, and bounce back from COVID together and make it a great year. This message sponsored by the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. Welcome back to Line One. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Our guests today are Dr. Jamie Spatrasano, a doctor of psychology who performs neuropsychological evaluations at Fuller Diagnostics in Anchorage. She's had diverse experiences, including inpatient and outpatient substance use disorder programs. And Ms. Erin Mingrone, who is a nurse practitioner specializing in psychiatry and integrative behavioral health here in Anchorage at Anchorage Neighborhood Health Center. You can also join our conversation. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, or in Anchorage, call us at 907-550-8433, 907-550-8433.
or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. We have an email that came in from Lisa in Eagle River, and her comment is that she hopes we're moving toward a time where mental health is not taboo, where it's a normal part of our routine health care. Have we been progressing in this way, where mental health is a part of our routine health care? Dr. Spatrisano? In, in some ways, yes, and, you know, um, and in some ways, no. You know, like, I, I think that, um, I mean, we're seeing more kind of like social media representations and things like that. I think I, I'm kind of like a, a broader scale, like it's, you know, like more talked about, you know, doesn't mean that stigma is by any means gone, you know, and, um, you know, in different communities, it's going to be a lot stronger than in other communities. And, um and so I think that, um, well, at least, you know, I worked over at um, Anchorage Neighborhood Health Center as well. And, you know, like, so I think that they do, you know, it's a good example of where there are screening for um, mental health concerns, you know, and, um, you know, providing referrals and that sort of thing. I, I don't know that that's happening. Uh, maybe uh, Ms. Mangrone can, can talk to kind of the broader kind of medical field and see if there's kind of, um, you know, more, you know, um, screening and referrals happening in, in that situation. Um, yeah, and we do, you know, even in other settings in primary care, one of the goals they're pushing for is to screen every patient for um, depression and anxiety at least once a year. Um, and I think, um, like Dr. Spachisano said, at, at um, Anchorage Neighborhood Health Center, the nice thing is that we are incorporating behavioral health services right in with primary care because it is a part of your your general health, your general care, and so it should be addressed in, in your primary care visits. Right. So I, I do think we're making some, some progress. Like, like Dr. Spachisano said, there's still lots of room to go, but we're understanding that and trying to move more towards that. Okay. We have to keep going. We have another caller that uh, left us a message to say that this caller does not feel like there are enough resources for families dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder uh, here in Alaska. Can you speak to that? Um, you know, like maybe echoing some of that concern, you know, that, that, that we don't have enough resources and that sort of thing. Um, you know, as, as far as families, I, you know, like with children, that sort of thing, I, I know that, you know, Alaska Behavioral Health actually has a pretty robust children's program. They have, uh, you know, a really good trauma center there, and they have, like, little tykes, you know, where, you know, like, you can see kind of the itty-bitty kids, and they can do play therapy and, um, you know, in that kind of preschool environment. And so it kind of depends on what that family's needing. Um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I know that, you know, like, probably across the board we um, need more resources, you know, as far as, probably like, family therapists and, like, people that are trained in, you know, um, you know, trauma recovery and that sort of thing. I don't know if that caller is looking for anything in particular that we might be able to address. Yes, and and Ms. Mingrone? I was just going to say, depending on, um, you know, insurance, too, because I know that's a, that's a limiting factor, but um, Psychology Today is a really good website where you can go on and just search for exactly what you're looking for. If it's family therapist, if it's individual, if you're looking for trauma, if you're looking for bipolar disorder, it lists what providers in the community offer those services and what insurance they take. So Psychology Today is a really good resource for, for trying to find a match for what you're looking for. 
Thank you. Do either of you know of any services for families that are supporting a family member that is dealing with a mental health illness? Yeah, I, I mean, NAMI would be kind of my go-to for that, that um, National Alliance for Mental Illness. And we have, you know, a chapter here in Anchorage. And, um, you know, I, I would hope that there's kind of broader chapters in other kind of areas in Anchorage or in, in Alaska. Um, but that can be, you know, a pretty good resource where they have, you know, like support groups and things like that and kind of, uh, you know, like a, a system for supporting, you know, folks that are family members of, of people that are experiencing mental illness. And they also have support groups for folks who are experiencing mental illness as well. And that's NAMI, N-A-M-I, NAMI? N-A-M-I. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We'll share that resource as well later. Thank you. Well, we have an email from Jennifer. She is from Haynes. And she says, of course, in Haynes, they have very limited mental health uh, resources. So she's very appreciative of the program. She is also a psychiatric nurse practitioner uh, and talks about the program at UAA uh, and wonders how we can get students into the field earlier to help them get experience and address this shortage of professionals. That's a great question. How can we do that? How can we get more professionals into this field? And we know if we educate them, then we have a better chance of them staying here and helping their community. Dr. Svetrasana or Ms. Mangrone, go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to say, I think, you know, education and outreach. I I didn't really understand what the field was all about. I didn't really understand the lack of resources. And just as I learned those things, um, it was something I was really interested in. I think just maybe education for high school students or early undergrad just providing those resources and the need for services and giving them a little bit more understanding of what the the field entails. Right, and the diversity of the field. There are so many different opportunities. Mm -hmm. One thing that comes up for me is kind of like having a community that's going to invest in those resources as well and, you know, like funding local universities and that sort of thing can be really important because you want to pay those professors well. It's hard, you know, because you're going to make less you know, typically as a professor than you would if you were in the field. And so we need to, you know, um, make sure that we're, we're keeping high quality, you know, um, professors in place and then, uh, you know, offering, um, you know, if they can, the assistantships and things like that that are going to incentivize people to, to kind of go into those fields um, and, you know, can make it way more manageable for people to, you know, who have like a family so they can support that and you know, support their lives while also getting their education. Thank you for bringing attention to that because we often want to see how we can drive uh, people to get that education. How can we encourage them to get there? But yes, we need to encourage those that are are, uh, professionals with a a passion and an education to educate. So we do have to invest in that in our educational programs so that people want to be a part of that. So we need to... and, and. those are usually your local folks, too, and those are the people that I think would be great to care for the people of Alaska, people that have been educated here as well. Um, although, of course, people who go out and bring education back in different cultures and that diversity back, it also makes us stronger. So now I'm going both ways. I want it all. <laughs> 
Well, I want to make sure that we have some time to discuss some of the more common and frequently seen mental health illnesses in Alaska. I'm quite sure seasonal affective disorder is one of them. Uh, What else do you see? And is seasonal uh, affective disorder like on a spectrum of depression or, or is that separate? Um, yeah, so it can be kind of its, its own, you know, like thing if there's like that seasonal presentation, right, where it's only coming up during those winter months and then, you know, like not having a problem during those, you know, like summer months or where we're getting kind of adequate sunlight. And then, you know, um, but you know, you're going to see, you know, pretty similar symptoms to somebody that's experiencing, you know, a major depressive episode, you know, outside of, I guess, winter months or even within winter months. Okay. And I want to go more into this, but we do have a caller that wants to address some more resources that are available. So this is Carl. He's from Homer and wants to share resources for coastal communities. Welcome to line one, Carl. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, You know, I've spent many, many, many years out at sea, not just in Alaska and the commercial fisheries, but over in Europe and Scandinavia, and, of course, the eastern seaboard. Wow. And um, having a vessel that could connect our coastal communities and get uh, people into a new experience, we're a vessel, a school ship, an Alaska school ship that also had health care uh, on the agenda and mental as well as physical, would just wow. be a wonderful, wonderful asset for connecting our coastal communities and getting possible youth out of our dysfunctional situations that might be causing uh, illness and depression and uh, having these therapists get some sea legs and get these kids out on an adventure and experiential learning situation there's nothing that transforms the mind more than being on a let's say a hundred foot sailing vessel going from coastal community to coastal community and um, bringing along you know a crew of kids in a a unique environment so I I know uh, this is a little bit Wow. Out of the norm and funding, but man, it would sure be a positive thing for uh, our coastal communities here. So I'll get off the air and hear some. Let me ask you a question. So, this is not something that is being done. This is a wish list. This is something we like to see that could benefit a lot of people. Is that is that right? Absolutely. In Maine, they have the windjammers, and every year they take thousands and thousands of people out to sea in the sailing schooners from bygone days. And here we could have more of a progressive contemporary vessel that, uh, you know, could cross the Gulf of Alaska, even in the middle of the winter, and um, connect our coastal communities. It's not like, you know, here I'm also a sports coach, a soccer coach, and a dream of mine has been for us eventually to have maritime programs between our school systems so that we could connect our coastal schools together with not just sport, but with just general well-being and and uh, science, you know, so. Well, that's very yeah, interesting. Relatively, relatively new program in a, you know, unfortunately in Alaska, we're a maritime state, but we don't seem to have the political will to do anything that is at all risky or dangerous is how we'll categorize things. Unfortunately, um, what these kids need is some risk and danger and some adventure and hands-on experiential learning. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, uh, had some experience in this field and, and seen a lot of people transform tremendously out at sea, looking at the right. sunrise or the sun clips over the horizon and being with new people and learning new skills. 
Carl, I'm definitely signing up for your program. (laughs) I think that sounds amazing. It can solve so many things, bringing education people together, activities, keeping youth out of trouble, really, because you're keeping them quite busy. So thank you so much for calling, and uh, we'll be helping to get something like this going. I think it sounds amazing. Ladies, we do not have much time left, though, today, and I think this this field is just so vast, and there are so many things that we need to share, and I hope that um, the concern over seeking help or admitting that you have a mental health diagnosis, I hope that we are moving past that so people can get the services that they need. I want to give you both some time to just share some of your uh, thoughts with us. I want. I, sometimes you don't get a lot of time, so I want to both give you give you some time to share with us some um, things we may not have gotten to. Dr. Spachisano? Sure. I think um, some of the stuff we didn't get to are kind of um, those things that we can do to improve our mental health, you know, or, um, you know, like, um, you know, just kind of simple stuff that, we, you know, we hear all the time, like, you know, like exercise and nutrition, but those are things, you know, it's all connected, right? And so it can go, you know, a really, really long way. I know we don't have time to really talk too much about it, but also, especially with COVID, you know, like making sure that you're getting your social supports, you know, like we, you know, can survive on our own, but we can't thrive, right? We need that right. human connection. So um, pushing past, you know, like that part of, of, you know, depression or feeling down or that isolation that, you know, tells you that you want to go crawl up in a ball and hide from everything, right? We got to fight that. We got to do it anyway. You know, we got to get our body moving. You know, we got to make sure we're taking in, you know, nutrition and that we're, um, you know, like connecting with somebody. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, one friend. If that's what, you know, like important for you, that's okay, you know, but you got to use that friend. And then for other people, you know, they need all 10, right? You got you to call someone every day. Um, so just kind of making sure that you're taking care of yourself and um, using, you know, maybe some of those free, like, mindfulness resources and things like that that are going to help um, you, you know, like, keep your, 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 you know, mental health up front. But that's, you know, I know we don't have time, so. Right. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, that's great to leave us with. Ms. Mangrone, let me give you a few moments, too. Sure. I I would like to piggyback on the the last caller. I think, you know, just looking at at different ways, you know, we live in Alaska, which I would argue is the most amazing (laughs) place on earth. And just accessing some of the the nature, some of the stuff we have out there, go for a hike, go, yeah, go out on a boat, whatever you have access to, because that can be so good for your mental health. Um, as far as stigma goes, I think, you know, my talk for people is if you have high blood pressure, you're going to see a doctor. If you have cancer, you're going to see a doctor. Mental health is no different. It's a medical condition. So even though there may still be some lingering um, stigma, come get help. It doesn't matter. Ask your primary care. Use one of the resource lines. But yes. ask for help. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guests today, Dr. Jamie Spatrasano and Ms. Erin Mangrone. Thank you to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Adeline Baxter. You can find more information on this and previous programs on our website at alaskapublic.org. This has been Line One, your health connection. I'm your host, Jillian Woodruff. Thank you.
Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants, and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.